You are listening to the QSR Web Podcast. Pizza, it has often been said, is all about the dough. Certainly leaders of today's featured brand on the QSR Web Podcast would agree. In fact, Michigan-based Hungry Howie's not only makes its dough fresh daily at each one of its stores, but the brand as a whole has made a big name for itself, creating and selling doughs of many flavors, so to speak, resulting in the brand's current array of eight different flavored crust. I'm QSR Web Podcast host Shelley Whitehead, and today this Motown-born QSR Pizza brand CEO Steve Jackson is in the house and at the mic to give us the flavorful lowdown on what's new, what's next, and what has happened at the brand over the past few pandemic problem-plagued months. That is a tongue twister. Not sure why I tried to, to, to tackle that one. Welcome, Steve. Hi, Shelley. Thank you for having me on today. It's, it's a pleasure to be with you. It is a delight to have you here today. Um, and if you will, we kind of like to get started first with kind of an overview of the brand at the moment, including things like your, your last year's annual sales and sales growth and current number of stores and the regions where you are located currently. Okay. All right. Well, our brand is 47 years old. We started in 1973 and we're up to close to 550 locations in 20 states, literally across the U.S., all the way to the West Coast, uh, as far east as uh, Delaware, uh, far south as uh, Florida, and southwest of Texas. So we've, we've spread the footprint out there. I will say that the highest concentration of stores we have are in Michigan, which is where we were founded, in Florida. And the reason we're, we're high count in Florida is in 1982, the founder that opened the first store, Jim Hearn, and I opened the second store, Jim decided to move to Florida. So with, with him there since 1982 and me in Michigan the whole time, We've got a real strong base in those two states, along with all the seeds that we've planted across the U.S. Uh, in regards to system-wide sales, uh, 2019, we were $439 million and 700000 just under $440 million. And that was a 7% sales increase over 2018. So wow. that's currently where we set as far as uh, 2009 ending. Wonderful. 2019. I actually said, sorry about that. 2019 ending. Okay. Um, well, unfortunately, we're on such a high note, but uh, on the less sunny side of things, perhaps, how has the brand been affected by the pandemic and how has this kind of changed your path forward if it has? Well, you know what, Shelly? If six months ago somebody would have told you, that the business world is going to shut down all businesses for three months worldwide. Would you have ever believed that? I still don't believe it. <laughs> it's hard to even fathom. So as that evolved in, you know, and we heard what was taking place in late January and February, you know, we've dealt with flus in the past and what have you. I don't know that anybody even realized what was happening. And then in that first week of March, when 
you know, they started closing schools and, you know, we started hearing more and more on the news of what was happening. Uh, I don't know that all of us really took it that seriously until all of a sudden they uh, decided to utilize a term called shelter in place. And uh, that made it a real serious issue at that time. And, you know, it was affecting different parts of the country as it continued and became much more prevalent, uh, Southeast Michigan, which is suburbs around Detroit, Wayne and Oakland County, ended up being the number three hotspot in America. It was New York, New Jersey, and then the Detroit area. So uh, to say that it was a challenge is an underestimate. It, it really is. It's, uh, it blindsided all of us and especially in our business, uh, as I look back on it and I communicated with our franchisee base over these last 90 days, uh, I, I pretty much emphasized one fact that we were very blessed to be considered an essential business because I know many businesses and many leaders that had the rug pulled out right from underneath them. And the four restaurants that are just now reopening in, uh, in Michigan, uh, restaurants just opened in the last 10 days, you know, in, in mid-June, and uh, how many thousands of restaurants might never reopen again? So it's, it's, it's been a big effect. Immediately in March, what happened with us, and when the shelter-in-place was, was instituted, we depend a lot in our staff basing with 16 to 24 year old people working in our stores. And those teenagers, when that took, when that happened, mom said, you're not working, you're staying home. So it really decimated the staffs in our stores. And uh, we had our management, our assistant management and our shift leaders, but we were losing you know, the, the real heavy lifters of our stores that, you know, helped, you know, organize, you know, the food preparation and the dough making that takes place. So running stores became a challenge and especially in Southeast Michigan, because we had some instances that we dealt with where an employee became infected with COVID and we had to shut a store down and quarantine all those employees for 14 days and try to bring other staffs from other locations in to, uh, to try to keep businesses open. <clears throat> I will tell you when, when that started, our leadership team has always met on Tuesday morning, uh, remotely, what have you. Uh, we started meeting every single day at 9 a.m. with Microsoft Teams. We learned a new way to oversee our business. And we had the leaders of each department that participated in that. And we tackled the issues of every single day as they were thrown at us. Issues like the need for uh, plexiglass screens in the carryout stores, the face mask issues, um, the social distancing stickers that had to go in the lobbies, the signs on the doors, you know, when you're dealing with 550 locations in 20 states, you know, turning the ship takes a little bit of time and, uh, and trying to get things in place 
you know, can be a little bit of a challenge. But I am so proud of uh, our leadership team and everybody in our corporate office because they reacted professionally and, and quickly. And uh, we accomplished every initiative necessary. We proactively looked at ways to help stores because we wanted to keep every store open if possible. The first couple of weeks, business dropped, you know, maybe 10, 15%, because I think it set a level of fear in everybody of what was happening. Then business started to take off because of the need for people to feed their families and not necessarily depend on the grocery store seven days a week. So uh, we had to look at ways to help our stores that were understaffed. We had to offer reduced hours. You know, many of our, or most of our stores are open from 11 a.m. till 11 p.m. or even a little bit later on the weekends. We actually had some stores that went down to 3 p.m. till 8 p.m. at night because they had such reduced staff. We were going to satisfy our customers in the most demanding part of the day, which is dinner. Pretty hard when your phone is ringing off the hook, which is a percentage of our business, along with you know, 50 plus percent coming in online and you have to shut the screens off and turn your phones off to say we can't take any more business in, but we were burning our staffs out and we had to do whatever we could to, you know, keep them as refreshed and as supported and also help manage the fear that was out there. And, uh, you know, it, it was a challenge. You know, we had some of our staff that just worked their fingers to the bone for whatever was necessary to do that. And, you know, we had issues that we dealt with, you know, the PPP loans and bonusing employees for the extra work or the hazard pay. And uh, that's kind of how it started off. That you describe the, the situation it's almost excruciating to hear you talk about the fact that you've got the phones ringing people, you got business coming in and you've got nobody to handle the business right. just and due to the situation. Yep. The few people that we had, we had to work them the most productive time possible. So it was hard to make decisions like that. Uh, we, we were at a point where over 40% of our stores were not open the regular hours. And I will even go down, go out on a limb and say even right now, 20% of our stores are not back to full hours just yet. Uh, you know, one of the, the issues that has come into play, and I'm sure you've heard this with other uh, people that you talk to, is the decision the government made with the unemployment benefits and that additional $600 bonus uh, wasn't a real productive decision you know, for the government to make in us trying to get our, our staffs back to work. Because a lot of our people are thirty to $50,000 a year employees. And in Michigan, that $600 made it to $950 a week. If you can sit home and make $45,000, $50,000 annually, annualized, why would you want to come back to work? So that was another challenge that we dealt with. And we're still dealing with it right now, trying to uh, restaff the stores and, uh, and deal with the people that want to come back to work. So lessons learned. 
Um, and how is it changing the way you move forward through all this? I imagine you kind of discovered some real leaders as well. Well, as I said, I'm proud of my leadership team. And, and, I, and, I, and I will tell you, I spend a fair amount of time in Florida in the wintertime. But, uh, and I've done that for many years, uh, leading the cold Michigan winters. And obviously, with the benefit of technology, it's made it easier over time to do that. Uh, along with, you know, having a great team and staff uh, to support us. Uh, that said, I was in Florida when this took place, and then the shelter-in-place happened. And uh, based on today being the 18th of June, uh, I just returned to Michigan the beginning of this week on Monday, which was just four days ago, and I ended up being somewhat stranded in Florida for over 14 weeks, which... Wow. I would have never, ever thought that was possible to happen to run a company, but uh, we learned how to do it. And uh, with Microsoft Teams and, uh, you know, making decisions, you know, using technology uh, and the staff being around and the people in the field that needed to be in the field. Uh, prior to that, I probably had been in Michigan uh, every two weeks for days. And uh, I sit back and think that I was, was kind of stuck in Florida all that time, but uh, it didn't change a lot. We still got everything done. And uh, that was probably my biggest lesson learned. Well, kind of people pick up the slack. It, it, it maybe builds your trust in the, in the team? Well, I trusted them explicitly before that. What it did was uh, you know, we, we're in the distribution business too. So we supply, you know, all the food and paper and everything that's necessary for stores. So that part of our business had to function and that part of our business stayed busy. So we had that skeleton crew managing the, uh, that part of the business. But, you know, when you get into, you know, marketing and operations and development, uh, that those people in the office, you know, in accounting, they weren't here. You know, occasionally somebody would stop by once a week, accounting would check the mail, see what bills came in. Marketing might have stopped by to check something on what have you. But we learned, we all learned to work remotely. And uh, that was a big lesson. And we got the job done. And, and I will tell you, you know, I said those first couple of weeks sales dipped a bit, but then the sales started to come back. And uh, six of the last eight weeks set national sales records. And in the second quarter of this year, which would have been the April, May, you know, the end, you know, the mid-March, our same store sales were up 18 and a half percent. So all the issues I explained to you and the short staffing and the reduced hours uh, to be able to say that our same store sales were up 18 and a half percent is, uh, is quite a statement for our, for our whole brand and for everybody that's a part of it. So let me kind of switch gears here to one of the things that may be contributing to the fact that you have same store sales up 18 and a half percent, and that is your flavored crust, which I think 
there are eight varieties of now, is that? Yep. Okay, so how big is this gonna, I mean, I know it's it's been kind of like part of your name. When you mentioned Hungry Howie's, you mentioned flavored crust. So going forward, is that still gonna remain the same or is that gonna change in any way? Well, if you go back historically, Shelley, we, we started, uh, we invented flavor crust in the early 80s. We started testing it. Uh, we were a brand that was a little less than 10 years old at the time uh, in Detroit. We've got a couple of other real big competitors, you know, close by and everybody was, you know, gravitating to what that niche would be. And, you know, hopefully it's not just about cheap pizza, which, you know, you don't really want to, you know, get stuck in that. Uh, so we came up with this idea of flavored crust pizza and uh, for the most part, you know, rolled that 83 to 85. We had about 50 stores at the time and that kind of became our niche. When you see the signs on our stores and it took time for that to all evolve, you know, the words are Hungry Howie's and in a capsule below that it says flavored crust pizza. And we've changed those flavors over time. And I currently, you know, uh, the majority of them are, are long-standing ones, but we offer butter, butter cheese, Asiago, ranch, onion, Cajun, sesame, and a real popular one, garlic herb. So what we evolved, we took the crust of the pizza and we flavored it. Because, you know, if you think back, and I'm sure you've sat around with friends eating pizza, and sometimes when you're finished, all the crust is in the box. They've eaten the cheese and the toppings and everything that's on there and uh, through the crust in the box. Well, we tried to make that crust uh, as flavorful and a part that you're not, you're gonna wanna eat. You're not gonna wanna throw in the box. And I think our first tagline that we started with was somebody eating the, the pizza sliced backwards because it was start where you used to leave off because that's the good part of it. So. So we built up uh, that, you know, flavored crust niche, uh, a lot of education in those early years because people didn't really know what it was all about. But that was, you know, almost 40 years ago that that took place. And in the last 20, we've been copied by a lot of people. A lot of the big companies have decided to, you know, do different things with their crust and what have you. So it's it's been, it's been probably a proud moment that, you know, it was, it was a strong enough niche that everybody wanted to, to test it all too. But it's, uh, it's something that we're known for. And, you know, we think that it's just part of our DNA and it, it, it always will be part of our DNA. I don't know what the future holds with what other competitors are trying to do by calling things, calling flavored crust different names or whatever. But, uh, it's it's really changed that part of the of the pizza, and uh, hopefully in the, in the historical archives of pizza will be known as the company that uh, that brought that idea on board. So growth is also what the brand has all been about lately, especially with the reignition of growth opportunities in Michigan. Uh, where, as I understand it, do you see room for what twenty five more stores? Yeah, we think so. We kind of reanalyzed, uh, you know, we have close to 190 stores in the state of Michigan. And, uh, 
you know, some areas demographically have changed, uh, like, you know, it would in any city. So we kind of reanalyzed the whole state and, and we've, we found pockets that we think we can add, you know, 25 stores and, uh, you know, our current franchisees are excited to, to look at new opportunities. So, uh, we think, you know, we'll, we'll be over a couple hundred stores here in, in the near future, uh, in the state of Michigan. So where else nationally do you really want to see some hungry, heavy signs go up? Well, you know, as we've grown over these, you know, we started franchising and we awarded our first franchise in 1983. So, you know, you kind of go through a, a cycle when you first start to franchise. And I've always jokingly said, you know, in the beginning stages, you know, you'll find people if they have a pulse and a checkbook, you might consider selling them a franchise. Well, you learn pretty quickly that what, whoever you partner with, it's real important. It's like a marriage. You know, you have to, you have to really be on the same wavelength and, and have the same goals and they need to understand what your vision is. So over those years, you know, we've planted seeds like other, other brands that some fostered great results and other ones maybe didn't. Uh, because I have said to you that, you know, we have a lion's share of stores in Michigan and Florida, the I-75 corridor that connects those two states has, has been very good to us. We've done well in the Carolinas, you know, Tennessee, Ohio, Georgia, Alabama, you know, trickled off to uh, Louisiana, Mississippi. So I think if we can use that lifeline of I-75 you know, from a distribution standpoint for, for products and supplying the stores, that's a natural. The, the other part of our growth, and I think a lot of franchisors, you know, really, you know, hopefully are able to snag the multi-unit franchisees, the, the, the hard, uh, hardworking operators that have developed other brands across the country, and have very strong presence in certain cities, but maybe have decided to add a different concept or brand. They have the infrastructure in that city, they have the supervision, they understand the restaurant business, and if maybe they're in the chicken business and they can add a pizza business and develop that same marketplace, uh, those are the, the important candidates that franchisors like us would love to attract and share our success with, and they could help us build in those markets. So that's, uh, that's a goal. That, that's always been a goal, but finding those, those strong candidates, it's, it takes time, and you have to build a relationship, and uh, they, need to, they need to know a lot about you before they make the commitment. Now, I understand a lot of the current expansion plans are based on data you've been obtaining and I guess analyzing for opportunities for new stores, but what other kinds of insights is that data giving you and how do you see it kind of altering the way you do business? Well, that's a big topic, Shelley. It's, um, you know, the pizza category started using uh, computers in the 90s in stores. And uh, there was a, a transition period where, you know, companies came on board and we probably went through three or four different companies that, that we tried to incorporate in the stores. And uh, we realized that that was important 
for the future. So we became, we were, we've been serious about that for 25 years, but really in the last eight or 10, it got to be a, a very important part of our business by uh, picking one brand that was going to represent all the stores because you know, maybe your first hundred stores have one computer and then a new system comes out. So the next hundred has another one. It's hard to manage data when you have multiple POS systems. So we were fortunate to, in the last 10 years, focus on one. And by doing so, we wrote, we have our own in-house IT department. We utilize a third party POS system, uh, which I will tell you it's revention. The number one pizza POS system uh, out there. And we've done a lot of internal IT development where we take the information off all the store servers and download that in real time. Uh, we are able to give our franchisees the opportunity to monitor their locations on their iPhones in real time. That information is collected and at the end of the day, at 9 a.m. the next morning, our, our leadership team gets a series of enterprise reporting uh, statistics that give us these one-page uh, numbers that we request of all the sales of every store in the country. So we know nine hours after midnight, all the information that we need to know that took place previously that, that day before. I'm talking you know, product mix, marketing mix, average tickets, percentage of deliveries, out the door times, uh, just a list of information that's of, of great value. Uh, that's also, you know, assembled on a weekly basis. We also have, you know, relationships with Microsoft Power BI, so we can slice and dice this information many ways possible. What's evolved over these last few years is we developed a relationship with Buxton, which is a, uh, a mapping analytics company that I'm sure you've heard of. They've been around for a lot of years. And, you know, it was, it was an expensive relationship, but we took at that time all of our computers' information, and they took that information and sliced it, diced it based on location, sales volumes, dot maps on where the business is taking place in relationship to the actual location. And they were, they take all that information and they take it and update it quarterly, even currently where they can tell us the profiles of the stores that are going to be the most successful and tell us in cities that we are interested in going into where we should put our locations at to attain the same metrics that we are in our successful locations. So it's not an exact science, but it's a wonderful tool to look at and go into and, uh, and help make decisions. Uh, on another avenue of technology, we developed a relationship with data science scientist company called Bridge out of Los Angeles years ago. And we were fortunate to meet the owner back then and became one of their first companies where they took all of our information and they still do daily and they analyze all the business that we do and we we understand our customer journeys we understand our lapsed customers 
you know, the one thing that I got to remind you about the pizza business, and you've been around it, so you might already understand this, but we have more information than pretty much any other restaurant category. You know, whether it be QSR, the Golden Arches, the burgers, the, 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 the taco Mexican chains, because with pizza, we know your name, we know where you live, we have your phone number, we know exactly what you eat, and we know when you eat it. All those other categories don't have that information specifically. You're scaring me a little, though. Yeah, we sound like the government. <laughs> so with that information, we've teamed up with these data scientists, and we're not the only one doing this. All the brands are evolving because this is what has been the exciting part of development in the last 10 years. And we can we we have a customer journey where we are able to classify our customers into MVPs to three or four other categories based on how often they come to us. So we literally put a program together that knows when you're coming. And if you don't meet that certain time frame, we're going to send you an offer specifically that might be an okay offer. And if you don't come back, within the next week, we're going to send you a little bit better offer. And then it gets to the point where we're going to just send you a free pizza at some point if you haven't come back because, you know, we don't want to lose you as a customer. And for some reason we might have, and then we might bring you back. So we have these lapsed customer journeys taking place by the millions. And we're able to track the data of all the purchasing to help monitor and understand our customers. I didn't mean to scare you, Shelley. It's a fascinating thing, and I appreciate your, your divulging that information because I will use it to get myself a free pizza. <laughs> well, the thing is, you're gonna have to not order one for about 60 days to get that thing. So if you can wait the 60 days, we don't want you doing that either. But, <laughs> That's what happens. But but that's how sophisticated this business has been. It wasn't that many years ago, uh, 10, 15 years ago, that the bulk of marketing that took place in the pizza category was in the mail once a week. You go to your mailbox, there'd be a stack of coupons from your local furniture store or car wash or what have you, and there was always two or three pizza coupons in there, and they went with a magnet on the refrigerator and or in the drawer. And that was, that was marketing 101 back then for years, decades. Well, in this last 10 or 15 years with social media and digital marketing, uh, it is amazing how things have changed. And what we've been forced to do is we did all those mailings where maybe we mailed 52 times a year. So in these last 10 years, we had to go down to 40 times a year, 30 times a year, move money towards digital, move money towards social, search engine optimization, things that I'm very fortunate to surround myself with a lot of smart people because most of it's way above my head. Thank you so much for this peek behind the pizza oven door, shall we say, at Hungry Howie's. It's a really fun brand with a great legacy, and we wish you well. Steve Jackson is the CEO of Michigan-based pizza QSR, Hungry Howie's. And up next, 
Online ordering is the order of the day for quick service operators, whether your game is pizza or burgers or even ice cream. So that's why we've got an expert on the matter, Labu Menu Drive CEO Salim Khatri, coming up next, who will talk about the whole subject of online ordering. So stay with us. Welcome back now with our guest, Salim Katri, who is CEO of Lavu and Menu Drive, which are, of course, leading providers of online ordering, mobile point of sale, and payment processing software for restaurants. Salim joined us back in April to talk about the pivot to online ordering that has been sweeping the industry due to COVID-19. Here we are again in July, and online ordering is still foremost in his thoughts. And now, as the industry limps into recovery mode, many are finding that moments of hope are quickly dampened now when new spikes in cases occur. It's clear that restaurants really do have a new normal to deal with, and it's here to stay. So with that in mind, the new focus for Menu Drive isn't just on helping restaurants stay alive until things go back to how they were. Rather, they're focused on helping restaurants recover financially by driving revenue. Simply put, restaurants are having to learn to win on a new playing field. And that playing field is all online. So how does a restaurant find success in this new landscape without the traditional methods of drawing in traffic, Celine? It's a, it's a great question, and I'm, I'm super excited to be back. Uh, one thing that we've seen uh, since we last spoke in April is that restaurant operators have several, I would say even a ton of different online ordering platforms to choose from. But the one thing that restaurants want they don't want more online ordering software. They don't want to pay a subscription for more, another piece of technology that they may or may not use. All they want is more orders. So what we've done at Menu Drive is we've built from the ground up a solution or a system that will allow them to do just that. So what we're specifically doing is we're building in smart email capability, SMS capability, the ability to drag and drop a menu item into an email so that beautifully populates it. It shares it on your social media. It shares it within your CRM. These are all the things that small and medium-sized business owners have always wanted. They've gotten from e-commerce giants like Shopify, but nobody has ever personalized and built that experience for for restaurants until today. So We're super excited about what the future holds. We've spent a ton of time with our customers and prospective customers to figure out what it is that they want. And what they really want is more orders, or as you said, more revenue. So, yeah, very responsive. And what does online marketing involve for a restaurant at this point then? So there's right at this point that I mean you kind of hit the hit the hit the nail on the head. The way uh, online ordering online marketing happens for a restaurant right now is that they either hire an expensive consultant who may or may not uh, be able to deliver uh, you know quality advertisements through Facebook, Google, Instagram. Uh, and other forms of social media, or they'll go online and post a couple of pictures of their menu items. And some of them look savory and some of them look delicious, but does it really drive traffic? 
in order to be successful at marketing your small and medium-sized business, you need to do it consistently over a long period of time. You need to understand who your target audience is, and you need to build up a base of customers through a CRM. And those are all the things that we're doing, and we're building into one-stop solution or product that makes it really, really easy so you don't have to spend thousands of dollars to go and hire a marketing expert who may or may not deliver for you. So, you know, one of the things I like to joke around with my team is we're essentially giving each small restaurant their own chief marketing officer. So a five to seven person restaurant, which is the average size of a small and medium sized business restaurant in the United States, will now have their own chief marketing officer and all marketing operations will be on autopilot. Um, that really does kind of level the playing field a bit. Um, but then where does menu drive come into the equation? Isn't it really just a place for customers to order food? You know, that, that's what we absolutely don't want to be. Um, there's a lot of, you know, uh, there's a lot of what I would call dumb online ordering solutions that are out there. Uh, the way that I would frame menu drive is that it's a smart, online ordering solution, right? It adapts to your tastes. It adapts to your customer's tastes. It offers you insights. It, it combines Google Analytics and your Facebook traffic to let you know where your customers are coming from so that you can market more in those particular areas. It kind of combines all the principles of essentially starting and running your own business because in order to start and run your own business, you need two things. The first is you need to make something people want, right? So in this case, the restaurants are making food or food that's really good. And then number two, you need to be able to go and identify where your customers are. So where do your customers live on the internet? Are they on Instagram? Are they on Facebook? Are they on Snapchat or TikTok? So Menu Drive allows you to do those two things and it just makes it really, really easy and, and less expensive. Okay, so let's crystal ball it a little bit. Mm -hmm. There are more marketing tools coming down the pipeline for menu drive customers. And yep. Can you tell us a little bit about them? <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. So one of the things that I talked about was, you know, smart email marketing. Um, currently, there's a lot of solutions out there that are <clears throat> fragmented from an email marketing perspective. One of the companies that's incredibly successful that everybody knows about is called MailChimp. And so think of, think of what menu drive is doing is bringing MailChimp into the menu drive platform or system so that you have capabilities to send beautiful messages in, in, a, in a very quick manner. So I'll give you an example. If you have a famous cheeseburger, you know, a, a spicy jalapeno cheeseburger, right? If you click on that menu item, it'll automatically populate that into your email template with the price, how long the promotion is gonna last, who you wanna email, and all the different insights uh, that you would need before you go and send that message out along with pre-populated templates so that you can target it for somebody's birthday or a special occasion. We just try to take the guesswork out of marketing for people and give them insights so that they know exactly where and what to sell. That is really cool. Um, yep. I'll be standing by and watching and, you know, I believe you that, um, that you're going to solve this problem with kind of a one-stop shop, it sounds like. Just as I believe that the same, the same wording that you're just not going to stop. Mm -hmm. 
kind of quickly becoming the motto for determined restaurateurs during this crisis that yeah. I got, we're not going to stop. No, um, that's, that's exactly right. And, you know, we've talked, you know, Lavu has over, you know, 7,000 customers in 98 countries. You know, I talk to my customers on a daily basis. They are some of the most determined people that you'll ever meet. You know, people who started off with nothing, who even though are down on hard times, they just have a smile on their face. They're so passionate about caring about their employees to the point where some of them would rather, I would say many of them would rather repurpose their existing staff uh, and help them become self-fulfilling delivery drivers rather than partnering with a third-party delivery solution. I mean, so these are people who not only care about making food and, and serving their customers, but they really, really care about their people. Um, and so my team understands that we're on a mission. Our mission is to save these restaurants, help them survive, right? That is, that's the mission. We're not, you know, making money is a byproduct of what we're doing. We're trying to help these restaurants survive because we're living in a completely different world. And it's only going to evolve even more, I think, over the next six or nine months. Yeah, and you've got the touch. It's uh, to, to kind of apply that technology and create new ways, just like some of these restaurateurs are doing some amazingly creative things. So I know I will be standing by and watching with great interest to see what, what's next. It's kind of like Thank a... You. Yeah, we're super excited. Yep. To to use a a very aged term, I'm showing my age a little bit. Um, Sadly, this podcast has got to stop now. Um, We're going to wrap it up for this edition. And I want to thank you, Salim, because that was great information. And I want to thank everybody listening, because I, I hope you took away some great information, as I did, that will help you do your jobs better, which is what this is all about. And with that, we bid you farewell today and ask you to come back next time right here on QSR Web. Bye now.